Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Best Thoughts Podcast. I'm Rick Johns. And I'm Will Johns. And today we're coming back with our second episode in season two on relationships. And Will, I had a lot of fun discussing family systems theory in our last episode. And today we're going to continue that conversation. Yes. And uh, I guess we should warn our listeners, we got a lot to cover today. It may be like getting a drink from a fire hydrant with all that we're going to try to get through today, but it's such good stuff. We just want to share it with you and give you the best stuff that we've learned along the way. You're, you're going to learn so much today. You're going to, it's like you'll have a PhD in family systems when you're done. <laughs> in the next half hour, your quickest PhD ever. <laughs> so Will, we read a book a while back called Friedman's Fables by Edward Friedman or Edwin Friedman. And we referenced him in our last podcast as he talked a lot about systems theory. So he wrote these kind of quirky, sometimes mysterious parables about systems theory. And you have a good one to share with us to start us off today. Yes, yes. I, I love these fables. And if you're, if you're a fan of fables, I highly recommend the book. And we just want to give you a little taste starting off of, of what they're like. So there's a story about a fly who was trying to get through a glass window. And the fly kept buzzing up and then coming back and landing at different spots on the window. And, and a moth happened to be observing what the fly was doing. And the moth said, what, what are you doing? And the fly said, I'm trying to get through the window. And the moth said, well, well why do you keep buzzing out and landing on the window again? And the fly said, well, I keep trying a new spot to see if it'll, if it'll get me through. And so the moth kind of sat back and watched as the fly kept buzzing out and landing on the window again and again and again. And, and, um, and the moth said, you know, what if you kind of st stood back and tried to get a, a different perspective? It, it seems like um, you just keep doing the same thing over again and getting the same result. <laughs> And the, and the fly said, you know, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. And, and, and the fly started buzzing even more furiously, trying more spots on the window more quickly. And, uh, and the moth was just kind of shaking his head uh, at the, the futility of what the fly was attempting. And, and finally, the moth just felt like um, he couldn't take it anymore. And he said to the fly, you know, really? Um, you know, I just noticed that you landed on a place that you had already landed before. Why are you doing that? And, and the fly said, I'm trying it again. It didn't work the first time, so I'm trying it again. <laughs> and the moth said, well, you seriously need to try something that you haven't tried before because you already know that that's not going to work. And the fly said, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> and the fly just kept buzzing into the window even more fiercely. And so finally, the moth said, fine, have it your way. And the moth turned and flew right into a large, bright light and burned himself <laughs> to a crisp. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten that one. <laughs> I love these fables, uh, mm. and and you know we'll kind of 
somewhat leave it to you all to decide what that what that means for you. Uh, I will warn you, these fables will stick in your head. And when you run into a similar situation in life, it will come back to your mind. Uh, so that's the that's the beauty of them. Um, but my commentary on it will be very brief, and that is last week we talked about one of the principles of systems theory is self-differentiation. We start with ourself. If you want to see change in your systems, in your family, in your organizations, in the world, you start with yourself. And, and I think this fable is a reminder to me that it's so easy to give advice to others without worrying about taking care of me first. Mm. I think a lot of us have flown into <laughs> the fiery light at some point in our lives. And it's so interesting. I know even with counseling that I do as a pastor, every once in a while, I'll ask the person, what advice would you give yourself? Mm. Because here they are all in a tizzy and all confused and trying to process something maybe even overwhelming or just angering. And we're so good at solving other people's problems. But when it's our own, we just, you know, and we, we don't see our own problems too. I like that comment by the moth, you know, why don't you step back and look at this from a, a larger perspective? And that can be really helpful. So that's quite the parable by Friedman. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Rick, where we left off last week, uh, we were talking about the health of self-differentiation uh, we were talking about the health of a, of a membrane where we let the good in, but we keep the bad out. And there's another key principle of family systems that we're going to start with today, and that's the principle of the virus. Yeah. What, what is that all about? And, and we're not talking about COVID-19 here, so no. don't, don't worry about that. But uh, what's the virus about in family systems, Rick? Well, remember that we said last time that Murray Bowen looked at cells and the cellular level, and that's where he started to find lessons about how we relate to each other and how humans interact and the self-differentiation that happens when two cells uh, split and then they become differentiated to serve different organs or become different types of cells for what the body needs. And that healthy cell has a nucleus and it has that selectively permeable membrane and we need those things. But he says what's interesting is there are unhealthy cells in our body and these are viruses. And the thing about a virus is it doesn't have a strong membrane. It has to attach to a host cell. Mm. So a virus can only be alive as it attaches to a healthy cell <laughs> you following me here? It can only function yes. as it attaches to a healthy cell and then it infects that cell and makes that cell reproduce the virus. And so Murray Bowen said, when you look at society, those of us that have not self-differentiated are like a virus. We need to attach ourselves to hosts and you get these unhealthy relationships where people are are fused, where people have to be codependent, if that's a, a term we can still use, or they have to latch on to someone else and need their approval, need them to do their thinking, need them to take care of them. And that, of course, is a very destructive way uh, to live your own life. 
And, and Rick, you know, I think it's important here to recognize like this might be a lot easier to see in someone else than in ourselves. Yes. And that's okay. If that's, if that's how you can start to understand the theory, then start there and, and then see if you can begin to see how it might be something that you yourself might be doing. Uh, yes. Because we're, we're all can lean towards some virus type behavior if we're, if we're not careful. Yeah. And, and one of the two of the terms that come out of this are the term fusion. And, and the term fusion in systems theory is when our life becomes overly intertwined with someone else's life. Yeah. Uh, and, and married couples can fall prey to this. And, and so when there's this sense like anything we do, we have to do it together. That's basically fusion. Yeah. And, and just unhealthy. <laughs> right. And just to be clear, this is a sliding scale. You know, it's a, there's a spectrum here, if you will, of self-differentiation. And I think earlier in my uh, young adult years, I don't think I was self-differentiated very well. And I remember even with my own parents, and I think that's where it starts for most of us, I was very fused with my parents, what they thought about me, what they thought uh, I should be doing, whether I was pleasing them. Like I was always thinking in my mind, what would my parents say about this? Is, are they going to find out about that? And always trying to negotiate things. And then as I started becoming more independent and went to college and all those kind of things, then I kind of let the pendulum swing because I was so fused and I cut them off. I went through a period where I'm like, no, I don't want to know, you know, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to know what they think. I want to cut them out of my lives. And that was very traumatic for me and for them, of course. And I think they were kind of blindsided by it because here I am this really good obedient son. And all of a sudden now I'm like this rebel son who's out there just not going to talk to them, not going to call them. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do my own thing, uh, which is ironic because I wasn't like really rebellious in my life. But I was fighting this fusion, this kind of lack of self that I had, lack of core self. And mm. so that in systems theory is called cutoff. And what people don't realize is cutoff is the reverse of fusion, but it still shows that you don't have a healthy sense of self. You're not completely self-differentiated. And that's counterintuitive, but you have to understand the only reason you have to totally cut off from someone is because you aren't strong enough to be yourself with them in your life. Yeah, and, and it is. It's, it at first doesn't make any sense, but cutoff is a type of fusion. Yeah. And it, and it just manifests itself in the opposite way as fusion. So, so fusion is like overly in, enmeshed. Then cutoff is, it's not too much distance. It's distance that is in relationship to what the other person wants. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what they want. So, so in fusion, I'm doing exactly what, what they want. In cutoff, I'm doing exactly what they don't want. Yeah. In both cases, you're living your life in reference to the other person. Exactly. The other person has the full control over your life. Yep. And, and Rick, you know, um, 
we should not be hard on you for for taking that pendulum swing because I think that's the typical experience of most people. Mm-hmm. We we go from fusion to cutoff thinking that we really become differentiated, not realizing that we we really are just in the same boat headed a different direction. <laughs> right, right. And I still have uh, a little bit of mixed thoughts about it because I think there are times where the cutoff gives you a little space to kind of strengthen your own self-identity and work on yourself. Um, but ideally, as Murray, Murray Bowen would say, ideally you would grow yourself, not have to cut off, not have to... In fact, Murray would say you can practice in your family of origin. You can practice with your spouse getting stronger, being assertive, uh, expressing who you are, setting boundaries. Absolutely. And and that reminds me, Rick, I'll say real quick, that's that's where we're going in our next episode. We're going to be talking about boundaries. You'll see how this fits perfectly into the family systems we're talking about today. But you reminded me of a story that I told way back in our first season, and I think it was episode one, where a counselor asked me, I was facing a decision where my parents wanted me to do one thing, my wife wanted me to do a second thing, a different thing, and I felt trapped and I couldn't decide what I wanted. And the counselor asked me, well, what do you want to do, Will? And, And my first response was, I don't know. That that statement, I don't know what I want, is the statement of someone who's in fusion. Yeah. I was completely fused with my parents, my family of origin, and with my wife. And I felt an enormous sense of conflict, internal conflict, when the two of them wanted something different of me. Right. And 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 I didn't know what was it that I wanted. Right. And so you could see how empowering the systems theory is as we move towards being honest and, and clear about what it is that we want, becoming more ourselves, more authentic, more self-differentiated, then it allows us to, to move through relationships without getting caught in these impossible double binds. And I think, Will, that this fusion and cut off some reflective questions you can kind of ask yourself if you if you want to kind of see if you're caught in something like this is how much are you blaming how much do you feel like someone has dictated how your life is going mm. Mm. Uh, you'll know your infusion and cut off when you're blaming like we you know and I went through a period where I really blamed my parents well you know I was raised this way and this that and whatever and then I had to do the work and go, wait a minute, my parents aren't dictating my adult life. In fact, at that point, I had cut them out. So I was the only one responsible for my life. And that's part of that maturity saying, okay, these things may have happened, or this person may have wounded me, or this, this event may have happened, but that's in the past. Now I can take ownership, that self-differentiation, this is my life. It's my cell. These are my membranes. You know, they're selectively permeable. This is my nucleus where I'm making my decisions and I'm choosing to do something good for me and, mm. and to consider others. But 
letting my life unfold in the way that God intended. So now God and I, and I think God can be a resource here because he can bring us strength and a sense of value and worth so that we get that internally. It comes from within now and we're not having to, to be fused to find, hey, am I good enough? Hey, am I worthy enough? Hey, am I succeeding? Hey, am I a, a good person? Am I a successful person? Or whatever we, we want to get from the world, we can now start to get from within and life just works so much better. And by the way, then you start getting from the world what you were looking for before you had that, that membrane. Yes, and, and I'm going to add one other question you can ask yourself, and that is, whose approval am I seeking? Yeah. Uh, fusion is all about seeking approval and, and seeking, uh, you want someone's acceptance of you. Yeah. You want someone to think you're a good person. Um, and and there's, there's two other definitions that I want to just hit real quick here, Rick, that, that apply to this. There's the basic self. This is a systems term. And the basic self is the unchanging self. It's the, it's the you that is the same with everyone. Mm. And then there's the functional self. And the functional self could also be called the flexible self. This is the, the self that you change depending on who you're with. So when you're with one group, you're kind of this way. And when you're with other people, you're kind of a different way. And what Bowen states is the higher your level of health and self-differentiation, the larger the basic self is. Yeah. And the smaller the functional self is. And then the more unhealthy you are, the more virus-like you are, the less there's like a tiny bit of basic self and this huge piece of functional self. Yeah. And, and really that's up to us to decide. And, and to me, the way I had to move into to more basic self is here's the mindset that worked really, really well for me. I had to say, I'm going to do what I believe in, what I think is right, best, what I want for my life, and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. This group might like it. They might not. These people might like it. They may not. My parents might like it. They might not. My wife might like it. She might not. My kids might like it. They might not. My friends might like it. They might not. That's all okay. Um, I don't have to be mean about it. I don't have to be a jerk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to be rude about it. I just be who I know I want to be who you brought in God into the equation, Rick, who I believe God wants me to be, who God created me to be. Yeah. And there's tremendous empowerment as we move further into that basic self. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, Will, that's brought out in systems theory is the concept of overfunctioning and underfunctioning. Mm, I love this one. Yes. Yeah. And that's a way that you can also see. It's again, easier to see in others than yourself. Uh, but you can see people in relationship where one, one partner way over functions and the other one way under functions. And this is probably, uh, I hate to be judgmental, but probably the result of a virus attaching to a host. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes it's pretty obvious that this is the way the relationship is working. 
and you have one host who's over-functioning and a virus who's along for the ride. And the problem there is the, the host is probably getting some self-worth from helping the virus. And the yes. host may complain about the virus or may complain about their illness or complain about how this person just isn't able to do this or isn't able to do that. But the host uh, is getting something out of it or they wouldn't be doing it. So there is a level, if you're an over-functioner, and sometimes it can masquerade, especially in the church, as someone who's just kind of the hero type that's always saving and helping people. But this can also be an indication, maybe I'm not as self-differentiated because I need to be perceived as this rescuer. I need to be perceived as someone who's always helping and always there for people. And the other problem to that is you're then taking, as we said in our last episode, the responsibility away from the virus. So now the virus can't grow, the virus can't mature, the virus isn't taking responsibility for their decisions, their actions, and guess what? That virus, over time, will probably stab you in the back and say, well, my life went this way because of so-and-so. <laughs> yes. And they'll, they'll blame you for all their problems. They'll throw you under the bus in a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all said and done. <laughs> Which is probably a great time for me to tell my favorite Friedman's uh, fable, Will. Okay. This, this one is a little different, and I had forgotten about that moth one, but the one I always remembered was Friedman said, suppose you're going on a journey and you've got just a limited amount of time to get where you want to go and you're excited about the journey and you're excited to get to the destination. And so you head out on that journey. And then as you're going along the way, someone asks if they can join you. And you say, well, sure, you can join me, but you know, I got to get there by a certain time and I'm kind of walking fast and I I want to be there and I'm excited about it. And they're like, oh, me too. Yeah, let's go. And so they hike along with you. And then you get to this point where there's a bridge going over a canyon. And as you're walking, you kind of pause to look at the beautiful view and the vista from the bridge. And the person hands you a rope and then they jump off the bridge and they start falling. You grab the rope and now they are dangling in midair over the canyon and you're holding their rope. And you're stunned because here you are, you didn't see that coming, you weren't expecting it, and now their life seems to be in the balance, in danger, and it was nothing you created, but they just handed you the rope, and you're stuck there on the bridge wondering, wait a minute, I want to get to my destination, and now I've got this person dangling, and all I can do is barely hold on, and I don't have the strength to pull them up, and there's nobody in sight, and so Friedman says... The person in the parable lets go of the rope and keeps on going on their journey. <laughs> and that's how the parable ends. Doesn't say anything about what happened to the person at the end of the rope, but just says that the other person continued on to their destination. So there's another, there's another parable from Friedman on systems theory. So Will, what would you get out of that parable? <laughs> I remember there's a detail that I remember about the parable where the guy holding the rope calls down to the one hanging on it and says, I'm going to give you two minutes to climb up and then I'm letting go of the rope. It's your decision, not mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and the person at the bottom keeps saying, no, you're responsible for me and anything that I do. And the person at the top says, no, you're responsible for you. 
I'm responsible for me, you know? And so it's, it's this mm. dialogue about who's responsible for what. Rick, as you're talking about over-functioning and under-functioning, one of the most powerful things that hit me about this, as, as I, I recognized in, in many areas of my life, I tend to over-function. And people that over-function are often resented by the under-functioner. Hmm. Because the under-functioner will say, you're so controlling, yeah. so controlling. And there is some truth to that. And so when I recognized this, looking at the systems theory, I'm like, well, what can I do about it? And the theory says, pull back. Yeah. Pull back to an equal level of functioning. And then here's the typical overfunctional response. Yeah, but then it won't be done right or it won't get done at all. Yeah. That's okay. Let it sit there undone. Let it be done poorly. Let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. <laughs> Let go of control. Yeah. And, and eventually, guess what? The underfunctioner will come meet you in the middle. And, and then the reverse of this is true. If, you, if you're feeling resentful and controlled and you realize like someone has kind of dominated you and you're underfunctioning in, in some relationship, then, then the solution that you have is to be more assertive. Yeah. You can start functioning more. You can push back to the middle. Yeah. Regardless of which side of this dynamic you're on, if you can recognize what side you're on, you can do something about it. Absolutely. And to those who are listening, I want to ask you a question. What ropes are you holding? Because <laughs> we're all holding one. And some of you listening are probably like, shoot, I've got like six ropes that I'm holding right now for all these different people in my life trying to keep them from falling, trying to keep the ship aright, trying to keep my family going. There's some of us that kind of get stuck in the middle of our whole family, trying to balance everything, being the peacemaker. And that kind of brings up this concept of triangling, which is another key concept in systems theory. Will, what happens in triangling? Yeah, and before I dive into that, I just want to give a couple questions real quick because I think awareness of where you're at in some of these systems categories is super, super helpful. If you know where you're at, then you can do something about it. And so the questions would be, do I feel resentful and like somebody keeps bossing me around? Hmm. And if the answer is yes, then you are probably under-functioning and you need to push back. Um, and then the second question would be, do I feel resentful like there's someone in my life that just never doing, never pulling their weight? Like I'm always doing the extra work in the relationship. And if the answer to that is yes, then you're over-functioning mm. and you can pull back to middle. So, so, you know, it's just once you get these concepts, you are so empowered, you know, to do something about it. And that's, that is exactly true about triangles. Triangles in systems theory is the foundational unit of any, any group relationship. And, and it's three people that are involved in a triangle. And these triangles get interlocked across entire societies. And you could even argue in, in, in throughout the worldwide population. And, and so Bowen saw these as the functional building block of any human system. 
And the way it works, the best way to think of it is that you have two people that have a relationship with each other. And then the triangle is a third person that's also involved. Probably one of the easiest ways to understand a triangle would be if you think of like a husband and a wife and then a child. You know, so you have the husband and wife have this relationship with each other. And then this child comes along and they both have a relationship with that child as well. And it creates a triangle. And then sometimes the child can try to talk mom into talking dad into letting the child get away with something, right? Mm -hmm. And children are very good at this. They learn this from day one. And if you're a parent, you know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely do. And then, and then that's just an example. Think of it like this. Think of a relationship, say, you have with, the, with your boss. And the boss asks you to do something that you don't feel like doing. And you don't like it. And you're upset. Uh, are you going to go directly to the boss and tell them exactly how you feel? Probably not. Nope. Systems theory would predict you would go to someone that you feel comfortable with within your organization, a fellow coworker, and you could say, man, I can't believe the boss asked me to do this. That's just so crazy. It really ticks me off that they just don't get it. You know, whatever. You might complain and kind of vent your anxiety to another person. Yeah. As soon as you do that, you've created a triangle because you've got your relationship with your boss and now you've got this relationship with this other person that you're sharing the upset about your relationship with your boss with and classic triangle. So what do you do about triangles? What is the healthy approach to those? And Rick, I'm going to throw that question back to you. What does systems theory say we should do when we recognize we're in a triangle? Well, number one, again, you have to recognize it's an attempt to transfer anxiety. Yes. Anxiety has come to me from one person. Now I'm going to another person who's more safe and easier and on my side. And I'm going to go straight to them and try to transfer the anxiety to them, get them on my side. And now I feel like it's two against one. So this anxiety that we experience always has that tinge of a threat to it. So whenever we feel a little threatened, it's our natural tendency to run in triangle. Mm. The problem with this is that now we've involved someone who wasn't involved and isn't actually involved in the situation because the issue in that last scenario is between me and my boss. Mm -hmm. And it will never get solved outside of me and my boss. So I can triangle with as many people as I want, but it won't actually do anything about the issue. And mm -hmm. I actually, I might feel a little better if I'm able to transfer some of that anxiety. And if I have good friends, they can give me good advice and maybe put it back on my shoulders or say, hey, why don't you go talk to the boss, have a conversation. But no problem is getting solved when I take the problem from where it is, the, the, the two people in the relationship that have the problem, and put it on a third person. Yes. But in families, this gets really detrimental because mom and oldest son don't get along. And so they both go to youngest son and youngest son has to balance between mom and the oldest son. And you can have this triangle where the family only exists because it goes through someone else. But yes. mom and the oldest son will never fix their relationship. They'll never get to health as long as that youngest son 
continues to play peacemaker and take their anxiety and try to be the go-between. And Rick, you see the, the classic is a, a woman unhappy in her marriage, leaning emotionally on her oldest son and, mm. and sharing marital struggles with him, you know, yeah. creating a, an unhealthy triangle, you know, in that way. And one of the things I love, Rick, about systems theory is it says, flatten the triangle. And, and basically it's saying, get the third person out of the loop yeah. and go directly to the person you have the issue with. Right. This takes a high level of courage. <laughs> yes. High level of self-differentiation, a high level of maturity. But I promise anyone who's listening today, if you flatten the triangle, you immediately improve the health of any system that you're in. Yeah. It's your only chance at actually solving the problem. Yes. Because you think about it, if you keep triangling, you keep bringing other people in, the problem's just there. The problem is not changing. It's not moving. It's just hanging over your head. You're going to have constant anxiety until you finally face and have the conversation or do what needs to be done in the relationship where the tension lies. Now, and that, let me just say, so, so people don't um, you know, miss that there is there, there can be a helpful space. If you're planning to flatten the triangle and you're talking to someone else about helping you think through that, Right. Before you do it, that's healthy. Good. But if you're talking to the other person with no intention to actually circle back and flatten the triangle, <laughs> right. That's unhealthy and and definitely won't accomplish anything. Right. And uh, and we were talking in the context of blame. If you're just going yes. to another person to blame the other Yes. Yes. I'm going to talk about so and so cuz so and so does this and so and so said this to me. And we see this everywhere in our church. We see it all the time. We call it gossip or slander or different things. We see it in our world. And there's always this human part that wants to kind of, oh, I can't believe they did this and they said that. And we have no intention of trying to be helpful or solve any of these issues. We just want to kind of blame them. We want to get sympathy. And uh, Murray would say, you know, that's a low level of self-differentiation that we need that kind of external validation for us that we're a victim. And being a victim gets you nowhere. Absolutely, right. So what you're talking about, Will, is far different. Going to a counselor, going to a trusted friend who can advise you and help you solve the problem, that's not triangling. That's yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Rick, that really leads me to the last principle that we have time to cover today with family systems. And I hope we're going to leave you wanting more information about family systems. In fact, there's a very accessible book called Extraordinary Relationships by Roberta Gilbert. And uh, she yeah. writes all of these principles. So if you're, if you're getting excited about this, say, man, this explains so much of what I'm dealing with and my relationships and my challenges and my problems, um, then get this book it's a little bit of a dry read, but it's super, super helpful. And once you grasp these concepts, it's amazing how much it can empower your life. Mm -hmm. so, so this final one is uh, pursuit and withdrawal. And this one is phenomenal. Just so, it's so helpful. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just can't emphasize 
how much this turned a light on for me when I began to understand it. It's very simple. We, we all kind of feel it already. What it says is that we all have a certain level of comfort level of space that we want between us and the people that we're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. The people that we're closest with, it's not that much space. The people that we're not very close to, it's a lot of space. And this is where pursuit and withdrawal come into play. If someone is pursuing me, and, and I feel like they're, they're closing the space more than I'm comfortable with, I'm going to withdraw from that person to the level of space that I'm comfortable with. And then if I'm pursuing someone and, and I close that uh, level of space to the point that they're not comfortable anymore, they're going to withdraw from me. Yeah. And here's the trap with this is if I'm pursuing someone and they're withdrawing from me, I might start getting insecure and anxious and pursue them even more. And Very guess natural. what? They're going to withdraw even more. Shocking. Then I'm going to pursue even more than that. And then yep. they're going to withdraw even more than that. Yep. Does this sound familiar to any of you in the dating world right now? <laughs> Someone yeah. you like, you're just falling in love with them, and uh, you come on a little too strong, they start pulling back, and you just can't help yourself, you come on even stronger. And you never see him again. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's an ebb and flow to this pursue and withdrawal. And it's an ebb and flow that's in all of our relationships. And you're right, Will. Once you become aware of it, it becomes helpful because when you see someone withdrawing a bit, you don't have to necessarily take that so personal. And you have to be aware, aware that if I over pursue or if I become really anxious and needy about it, I'm probably just pushing them further into withdrawal. Yes. So yes. I'm not getting what I want, even though instinctively I maybe can't help myself because I'm like, oh no, where are they going? Where are you going? Why aren't you talking to me? Why is the silent treatment? Whatever. Whereas if we can stand a little withdrawal, then maybe we can give a little space. And then guess what? In most cases, then finally when they're ready, they start pursuing and we can reconnect. And that, that's the thing that's so incredible about this theory that is so empowering because once you get it, it's totally counterintuitive, but here's how it works. If someone's withdrawing from you, you need to withdraw from them. If you would like them to come back pursuing you again, give them the space that they're clearly wanting. Don't overdo it. I'm not talking extreme here, but you see someone pulling back a little bit, then you pull back. Yeah. And then they'll come back towards you when they're ready, when they're comfortable. Well, and that will have to conclude today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed these last two episodes on systems theory, and we look forward to presenting boundaries in our next episode. So join us next time. You've been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Rick Johns and Dr. Will Johns. Have a wonderful week. And I'm self-differentiated. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.